Welcome to the March 2020 edition of Erasing Shame podcast. And today I am joined with Jed Chan, who is one of the team members of Asian Mental Health Collective and also moderates the very popular Facebook group, Subtle Asian Mental Health. Thank you, Jed. It's good to see you again on video this time. We just met in person yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see you too. It's, uh, it hasn't actually been that long. <laughs> and it's a unique time in history because more and more people are getting online to connect because of this worldwide pandemic of a virus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think I, earlier this morning, I, uh, I read an article about how um, even though we should be like socially distancing ourselves, we shouldn't isolate ourselves socially. And so... Uh, yeah, we, we, we need that human interaction still. And I guess, I guess this time around we have, uh, we have the internet, so it won't be a repeat of like the Spanish flu back in 1918. <laughs> wow. You're, you're quite the historian. Well, uh, a little bit. <laughs> well, great. So tell, tell our listeners and viewers about the Asian Mental Health Collective. It is a fascinating movement that's kind of grassroots and really doing some great things. Yeah, so the um, Asian Mental Health Collective is kind of what we're doing uh, to try to bring awareness to mental health, and especially, specifically in an Asian context. And so uh, I guess we can't really talk about the Asian Mental Health Collective without talking about subtle Asian mental health, which is kind of where our, where our I guess, organization at this point has come from. And so Subtle Asian Mental Health is this group that started uh, as a result of the Subtle Asian kind of movement, wave, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, so basically, as our, our, as our Facebook group kind of gained popularity, we realized, hey, like we can, we can take this momentum and use it to start a bigger movement that's not just limited to our Facebook group. And we can kind of expand our reach to other places and to start um, I guess our primary objectives are to destigmatize Asian mental health. And mm-hmm. so that means making it easier to talk about mental health issues. And um, obviously we want be people to be able to kind of uh, be open about mental health as the same way that people are kind of open about their health problems. Um, there are certain things that you keep to yourself, obviously, but it's also something that you don't necessarily mind sharing with other people in the same way that, um, there can be a lot of um, stigma attached to mental health, especially the way that more traditional Asian, um, maybe immigrant parents or um, people who still live in Asia have uh, perceptions of. So. Right. And this uh, subtle Asian social movement uh, started up so fast and I haven't been able to keep up with it. And it's mushroomed in several different directions and uh, last I looked, Subtle Asian Mental Health Facebook group has 30, over 30,000 uh, members in that group. And then um, we, we connected um, in person. And so I'm still learning about it, but how, how did this thing start up and why do you think it struck a chord with so many people around the world? So to my knowledge, um, it was a group of high school kids in Australia who we just wanted to start a group to share kind of like their experiences and just kind of like make jokes about this kind of 
shared Asian experience or the shared Asian diaspora experience um, that kind of extends beyond Australia and America, but um, even for some people in, or a lot of people in Asian countries still experience aspects of the kind of parenting that you go through and the type of, um, I think a lot of the jokes happen to be around the parenting and things that you grew up doing that kind of don't make sense, whether it's like hoarding bags or, um, or just uh, the things that you eat and just kind of things that are unique to our Asian identity. And so I guess it just started picking up steam as people just started inviting each other and realized, hey, we have this shared identity that is Asian, but not Asian. And um, I think part of it has to do with the fact that, um, I mean, for me, it's different because I grew up in a very um, Asian, Asian-centric area. So I, I don't really have that. I don't really have a very distinct other experience because I never really felt like an other. But for a lot of Asian um, diaspora, people of the Asian diaspora, they grew up in areas where they might have been the only Asian. And so I think it was a place where people could kind of relate and finally, finally have people who understand them. And so I think that shared identity, that shared culture, that shared experience is what really brought this movement to be what it is now. Yeah, and and probably accelerated by social media and the interaction we have. Um, well, as Asian people speaking the English language, so that's an yeah. automatic cultural difference mm-hmm. and all that brings all that and, and perhaps the traditional and modern cultures and uh, let let our uh, audience know about where you, where you live and where you grew up because um, while you say you, you've had mostly an Asian experience, you grew up in a non-Asian country. Yeah, so <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I currently live in um, the San Gabriel Valley. And so I've been here for the last 15, 20 years almost. Um, and aside from the four years that I left to go to college, uh i've pretty much just been here my like the majority of my life and so it is as ever as most people know the singular valley is pretty much predominantly asian um it's where a lot of the really good asian food in california is uh it's a lot i mean there's just a lot of asian people living here and this is where a lot of immigrants choose to come when they migrate over whether it's for visa sponsorship reasons or um whatever else but it just happens to be a this is just where asian people come and so um yeah uh i've grown up here and aside from the four years that i spent at uc irvine which is also a predominantly asian school uh i haven't really had that sense of feeling like an outsider um and so yeah that's a little bit of background about me and good well, we want people to get to know you because people come from yeah. different backgrounds and that colors how they see the world and also the topic that we talk about here on this podcast. Yeah. And uh, the, the question we talk about is, well, what comes to your mind when you hear the word shame? So for me, um, shame, I guess... You mean like what kind of what do I picture in my head, or like what is the definition? Well, it, we've discovered over the past uh, three and a half seasons now. We're in season four. 
that it's such a big topic. Yeah. And just to cut the big watermelon in half, there's kind of the personal side of shame and then the yeah. uh, professional or public side of shame mm-hmm. uh, for those who work in therapy. They, they help other people yeah. work through that topic of shame. And so you can take it on either side or both. And then we kind of drill down where you want to feel comfortable talking about that might be helpful to others. Yeah. Okay, sure. I think for me, shame to me, it carries this. um, Sorry, the dog's barking. (laughs) Um, That's all right. For me, shame is this kind of big idea. It's, it can be this, it feels almost as if it's like a, like a burden. Or if it's not a burden, it's something that causes you to want to kind of hide your face, right? Um, It's the idea that you've done something or there's something about you that you want to hide, that you don't want other people to see, that you want to avoid or get away from. I think that that's that's kind of how I see it. Um, It's just this, this kind of, it can be like this dark cloud um, yes. or the cloud that you want to hide behind. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, yeah, it's, it's strange because I didn't actually think about it before um, coming coming on your podcast. Uh, but yeah, it is just this like big looming idea or just this big looming cloud that can cause you to feel like you don't belong or that you, yeah. there's something that, I guess for lack of a better word, like ashamed of, is kind yes. of what I think of, right? Yes. And so it's, if I had to like condense what my thoughts are right now, it would be hiding and um, yeah, I would just go with hiding and just kind of yes. wanting to run away from something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's all of the above. It's such a complicated issue. And what we've discovered is because we haven't talked about it, because we are hiding, uh, we don't know how to talk about it. And then it just... Uh, festers and it grows. And to yeah. quote the popular author Brene Brown, who's made it mainstream in America, mm-hmm. anyways, that uh, shame festers in silence. And so when we haven't talked about it as a generation, as subtle Asians, but yet it's it's the subtext of many of the discomfort that we feel mm-hmm. and experience as we go through life. And it's not just what we've done it's also who we are and who we're related to or how we look and so it just affects so much Um, when I was preparing for this conversation I was thinking um, in the latest books and articles I've been reading that shame is a feeling but it's such an intense feeling it affects our thinking Mm -hmm. and affects our biology and so I was curious from your Um, educational background and your experiences in moderating these groups, what have you discovered in uh, how shame affects people? I think that shame kind of takes um, different, it takes different forms. Um, Mm -hmm. It affects people differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that there have been a lot of different responses to it and so i mean based on what i've so based on what i've read about like the interactions um on our facebook group and Mm -hmm. just that i've just kind of noticed in general one of the there are kind of a few reactions that people have 
Um, mm. If I could categorize them. So one of them is the complete abandonment of the Asian identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you think of being Asian as something to be ashamed of, which for a lot of people they do feel that way because they were made fun of or they experienced bullying or mm. yeah they just didn't like the feeling that was associated with the things that were Asian, and so they abandon it and they completely embrace or try to embrace um, the predominant culture that they that they're living in. Um, they try to uh, blend in better. They try to become part of the group or they try to, yeah, just avoid this idea that they can be represented by these traits, I guess, um, for lack of a better word, um, that make them Asian. Um, so that's one of the responses that I've seen. The other is um, the polar opposite of that which is to completely embrace your Asian identity and to completely just be unashamed, unashamed, I guess, in terms of um, being Asian, right? So if people are kind of um, casting you out and there's, they're making you feel shame, then one of the responses for people is just to completely embrace that identity and use that as a point to fight back. Like, you can't be ashamed of something that you're proud of. Right. So that mm-hmm. feeling you cover it up by being proud of who you are. And so okay. I think that um, can be represented in part of like the Asian pride movement um, that was maybe right around um, the mid 2000s or late 2000s. Um, and there was it was just a really awkward time for us as Asian Americans to try to develop with um, the, the advent of the Internet and um just people being able to connect and uh, just this idea, at least for us in the San Diego Valley to like um, use uh, social media and like, I might like AIM and yes. messaging apps to like express ourselves through these um, um, screen names. Right. And I think that came out a lot and um, it looking back on it, it is kind of weird. <laughs> Um, and it is a period of my life that I'm not super proud of, <laughs> but it is part of who we are. It was part of our expression of ourselves in that time to kind of be proud of who we were and to kind of take ownership of that. And that was part of the feeling of, um, making ourselves not have, or helping ourselves to avoid that feeling of shame by taking pride in it. And so mm-hmm. I think that's another response that I've seen. And those people are just, yeah, like, we're going to embrace um, being Asian. Like I can eat my stinky tofu and I will put it in your face and you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> or whatever it is that people find like off-putting. Like for, for me, I still find a lot of people are like, yeah, like um, I like uh, chicken cartilage and chicken heart skewers. Wow. And so I know that people, there are a lot of people who are like, that's weird. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people I embrace it. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I enjoy these things because it's part of my culture and part of who I am. And so um, I guess I fall mostly into the latter category, but there are, it is a spectrum. There's a Uh lot of people in between that have different, like the way that the shame that they have affects them is different. And so, I mean, part of me, I grew up in the church. And so there's a lot of shame um, that comes from uh, feeling like you've done something wrong. Um, and that's a different type of shame. It might not be distinctly Asian, but I know that it is a very common theme um, for uh, parents to put their 
children in um, either Christian or Catholic programs, right? Uh, just because, mm-hmm. oh, they have like good family values or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I know that my kid will be safe here and um, they feel a different type of shame. And uh, I think that there's also that association that comes from like, oh, like you do bad things. And there's this whole idea that, oh, like you're not a good person and that kind of thing. And so I think that that is another experience of shame that mm-hmm. has impacts on um, uh, on us as Asians because mm-hmm. our culture is different than that of, say, the Western cultures that um, we kind of are in. If we're speaking English, like, it'll probably be a Western culture. And so there's different varying levels of, of what there is to be ashamed of, right? And some of them yeah. might be uh, more cultural in I guess, expression. And some of those things are kind of like, oh, like, oh, that's not like a good thing. Or like, or maybe the other way around where we feel a strong desire to kind of respect our parents and mm-hmm. um, take that in consideration. Whereas some of our Western counterparts are like, you can be an individual and you can stand up to your parents and like, you can tell them like, um, I remember kind of a few years ago uh watching a comedian named like russell peters um mm-hmm. uh, i think he's south asian south and asian so he was joking about how his friend like he was having an issue with his dad and his friend was like oh yeah you can call child protective services right and then his <laughs> and then he made this joke about how his dad would have just like beat him before they got here and then just like yeah go ahead and call you know what like so i end up in jail like what are you gonna do i think it's that kind of um that kind of idea that you there's no like um there's no that's something to take into consideration right and um i don't i totally went off on a tangent here but it's okay I, <laughs> but that's part no. of part of this mix we're in the middle of and so bringing it to specifically to mental health you know shame and stigma is such a dark cloud that over covers this issue and people are yeah. need, needlessly suffering in silence and in darkness and feeling like um, they don't know how to get help and they can't afford help and what mm-hmm. kind of a um, uh, reaction the parents would have if you were to say, I'm, I'm feeling depressed or anxiety. And one of the things that you've done tremendously over the past months or maybe years is this uh, live stream segment where you say ask a therapist so mm-hmm. tell us about how that experience has been for you and how people have engaged uh, with your their questions Sorry, it's okay just background noise <laughs> we can fix it um, in post maybe. all right sounds good. <laughs> um yeah so yeah to kind of bring it back um what i was what i was talking about earlier um, and then I will I will answer your question. Um, so kind of bring it back earlier. Really, I like that the idea of like bringing something up to your parents directly is sometimes a challenge, especially in Asian cultures. And so yeah, um, that's a question. Okay, so the segue here is that that's a question that I get a lot on Ask a Therapist. Uh, we've only been doing it for a few months, um, but yeah, a question that comes up a lot is like, oh, how do I break this news to my parents? Like, how do I deal with um, I think most recently the question was a narcissistic parent. Um, but yeah, the, the question comes up very often. It's like, how do I, how do I have this conversation? How mm-hmm. do I 
how do I tell them about the fact that I'm on medication? How do I tell them about depression? How do I tell them about the fact that I'm struggling? Like that is, that is an aspect of shame. It's just like, I like, you don't, nobody has to tell you that, um, or your parents don't have to explicitly tell you that there's something wrong with it, but you kind of have this idea or this thought that it's something that I need to hide or it's something that yeah. is going to negatively impact the way that I, that my parents perceive me or negatively impact the way that on a, on a larger scale society sees me. But yeah, it is, it does specifically come out, come up a lot. How do I engage in this difficult conversation about something that I know that I might get a negative reaction about? Mm-hmm. And so that is very much like an aspect of shame that plays it, like that shows itself in these, um, in these, uh, ask, ask a therapist segments. Okay. So now that you've been asked that question many times, how, has your answer improved? And, and can you can you share briefly how how you would advise someone that is struggling with that very question? So I feel like my answer has slightly improved, but I don't think there's a lot to change about the answer that I that I give. I think at the end of the day, it really um, comes down to whenever you're having a difficult conversation, um, whether about whether it's about mental health or something else, is that if you're going to present an opposing thought or something that you know might not sit well with the other person. It always helps to start to come from the same place. You want to come from a place of mutual understanding because if you don't come from a place from of mutual understanding, then it's going to become um, very much, um, I guess you could call it a duel of going alternating offensive and defensive kind of um whether it's an argument or a discussion, somebody's going to be defending themselves and somebody's going to be like questioning or attacking. And so until you, unless you try to come from a place where there's this shared, um, shared value or um, just a shared understanding of something, then it's really hard to have those conversations. And so for me, it's always understand where the other person is coming from. If you can understand the core of why that issue is um, bothering them, or if you can at least understand partially where it's coming from, you can address that and expressing understanding of that and um, acknowledging that really helps to open up that conversation and to not being a, just like a mudslinging contest in a lot of situations. Um, So yeah, I think it always comes down to whatever it is that you can grab that you can connect with them just use that just go with that uh just roll with it because that's a place where um you can come back to you know you can tie in that discussion that you're having and so i guess i guess we could use an example say um say um i don't know let's use depression um if you're having it so I guess one of the predominant views is that depression is kind of all in your head. And um, that I think when it comes down to it, um, a lot of, I guess we'll use some of the struggles that I've heard. Um, It's a lot of, Oh, it's just in your head. Um, It's not like a real thing. It's just kind of like, you just need to try harder. You just need to change your attitude. You just need to like fix it. Right. And so I think that part of that is, trying to understand the core value 
right? That the par- the person who's um, communicating that to you is trying to convey, right? Um, to a certain extent, I think that um, the core of it is that they don't want you to feel like you're struggling. I don't think that um, I don't. I think that the way that it's presented is that it, you're being dismissed. Like that's not a real struggle. Like not a big deal. Just get over it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think at the core of it, maybe the the I'm not going to say in all circumstances, but I would say that in most circumstances, the hope is that you would be able to overcome that struggle that you're having. That it's it's something that they want you to overcome. It's not something that they want you to deal with. And so the way that that get ex- gets gets expressed is obviously not very supportive in a lot of situations, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the core of it is that they care about your well-being. Um, I know that it's not true in all circumstances, but I'm going to say in some circumstances, right? Yeah, so in many, if, in many. Yeah. This is a very relatable example. I've experienced it myself. So I've had hard conversations and uh, assuming positive intent because they, yeah. they do love you. They do sacrifice for you. Mm-hmm. and they do a lot of practical things, some of these uh, mental health and emotional and psychological categories just are totally foreign. Mm-hmm. They don't understand these concepts. And so when someone uh, who's educated in the West or has exposure to concepts like depression and anxiety is like, well, what is that? I mean, just, just uh, like you said, work harder or just change your attitude or uh, take a walk outside and clear your head yeah. and you'll be fine. Uh, they just yeah. want you to be happy, mm-hmm. but it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, definitely. And so like if you come from the place of, so one, one response is like, you could, um, I guess, well, in, in like, in a, in a, in a hypothetical situation, right? Let's mm-hmm. say that you try to take the most, non-cooperative route you throw a fit and you're like you don't understand me and you slam the door like a teenager and just like (laughs) call it a day um i think that that response is it can be like i've had that response before i've done okay I'm, i'm gonna speak from personal experience like i've done that to my parents i've i've said you don't understand me and i've slammed the door and it's because I think at that age, I didn't know how to express what mm-hmm. it was that I was feeling. And so a lot of a lot of times, I think this cultural gap is just like you not being able to express yourself and them not being able to express themselves in a way that each of you can understand each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, so if we're going to continue with this idea of like depression, right? We're going with... Um, at the core of it, if we want to assume good intent and that they care about you and they just don't want to see you kind of suffering, then the idea would be you kind of, if you were trying to tell them about what you're experiencing, it's like, this is from, and this is playing off of other values that um, some parents might have. It's just like, hey, this is what the research says. Um, mm. Like, this is a real thing. Like, this could be a medical condition, you know? Like, there is an actual imbalance of, um, neurotransmitters in my brain and it's causing me the inability to feel positive sometimes um, mm-hmm. or a lot of the time or most of the time um, yeah and it's it's literally um, a biological issue and if you present it like that and you just tell them hey like these are the facts these are the like 
statistics and this is what happens biologically, they're not gonna they're not going to have as much of a reaction as say like oh like it's just in your head like whatever it's just like a phase you'll get over it um it's kind of like well okay now like now now what are you gonna do because that's conflicting values in their heads like we can dismiss western study and all that and then but that would be a that for a lot of them that is something that they consider important like these are like this is like health related issues and i think Mm -hmm. that health related piece like that that well-being piece mm-hmm. is something that resonates strongly in asian cultures right mm-hmm. is the idea of like so, yeah. yeah emphasize the health part not the mental yeah. part <laughs> yeah so yeah it's a health emphasize like the biological yeah. health part of it and get, get away from like that it's like just a brain like like it's a uh-huh. it's a thought thing and there is a there's a certain element to it which is but if depending on what you emphasize it'll come across as more easy for them to accept right because right. if you if you came up to them like hey i have like terminal cancer they're going to respond differently they're gonna be suddenly like everybody's gonna want to take care of you like there's just yes. nothing that like they're gonna be like oh like there's nothing you can do about it and to a certain extent i think depression is one of those things where it's yeah. it's in more of a gray area but yeah. to a certain extent it is something that you can't yeah. really deal with yeah. in that way and so right. um emphasizing the things that they find important about uh, uh-huh. what things that they value will yeah. help you to have those that's conversations. Good. That's good. So, and yeah. I know for me, as I've had to manage my own mental health over the past 20 years, uh, since I've been diagnosed, um, uh, it's, it's been uh, encouraging to see the progress that we, we as, as a humanity is learning about mental health. And there's uh such a connection psychological social biological and mental that you can't really separate all of those and so yeah definitely it's it's our whole being that's being affected when we struggle with anxiety or um, depression or whatever else and uh, it's tragic when uh, a young adult or a teenager is unable to find someone safe to talk with to get the help they need and then they act out in the worst of ways whether that's cutting or uh, attempting their life and other things and you know mm-hmm. by that point it's too late yeah and so i really appreciate the work that you're doing in the facebook group as well as the mental health collective to erase the stigma and what other things have you helped uh, found helpful to erase the stigma i think Part of it is just learning about it, right? Okay. Um, in the same education sense, like, that feeds education. into an Asian culture. Yeah, right. Education. All right. Um, Health so that's one of my education. Favorite. All right. <laughs> yeah. So education is so important. Like understanding. So part of it, part of going back to our earlier kind of example, right? So unless you know those things about depression, you're not going to be able to present them in a way to other people mm. for them to understand it, and so. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just educating yourself. And um, I think there are a lot of resources out there. I think for us, that's something that we want to do is we want to put resources out there. Like yeah. what are some of the symptoms? Like if yeah. this is what you're experiencing, this is this could be what's going on. And But a lot of it is just learning about how it affects you, learning about what it is, learning that there are other people out there who have the same struggle and that it's it's not uncommon. I think that that helps to tear down the stigma. Like, 
the way the more that we look at it through the lens of an objective and empirically studied concept it becomes more i guess real to people um and i think it's like for example one of the things um that came out of um world war ii was shell shock people <laughs> identified the fact or was that world war one in any case the idea is that people identified ptsd as this thing and <laughs> so as people did more research and as people started to understand it more it's become more of a um i guess it's become more recognized over time and the <laughs> stigma hasn't just been like oh these people coming back from war have just lost their minds you know it's an understanding that hey these things happen in war and these cause these kinds of reactions and these things also happen outside of war. Like there are other things that are considered trauma that cause people to have reactions that the reactions that you see in PTSD. And so I think a lot of the time it's just learning about what it is that you're experiencing and learning about how you can get the support that you need and really just kind of talking about it um, in a, in a forum like ours to be able to kind of express these feelings that you haven't been able to express i think yeah it just that's just the great place to start and it all starts with that education piece um because <laughs> if you don't know you don't know you right. can't get help for something you don't know um yeah sometimes so, when someone is struggling it's really hard to be educating themselves when they're struggling yeah. so bad and i think what's been so helpful with the solo asian uh groups is that you hear other people experience the same things that you've had and you couldn't put into words yeah and, and then, then that suddenly, helps you to understand yeah and suddenly you have the words for it now because they were able to figure it out and someone somewhere figured it out and just passing that along has been really helpful for a lot of people i've mm -hmm. read comments in the past where it's just like oh like i've gone through the same thing i just didn't know what to call it um mm -hmm. and now you have a word for it now you can you have a concept that you can work with educate yourself and to address and so that's just part of the whole that's part of the whole like journey i feel like and that's that's where it starts right realizing that there is something there and that there's something that you can do about it yeah and i think that that gives people more hope because yes. in their situations oftentimes they feel like they can't i can't i just have to sit here and suffer because i don't know what to do about it but once you find out, oh, there could be medication for this. Oh, I could talk to somebody about this. Oh, there's a way to retrain my brain to deal yeah. with some of these issues. So, mm -hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I'm I'm just nodding in agreement and really appreciate you uh, rounding this out and how Subtle Asian Mental Health and what you're doing at the Asian Mental Health Collective are uh, bringing these resources and these stories and places for people to get educated about their own health and uh, how to deal with their parents, learn from other people's examples, really tremendous. I'm glad I can share it with our uh, slowly growing audience and we're uh, approaching it from a different perspective, but I think we need all kinds of perspectives and all kinds of resources because this is such a big thing um, that's affecting uh, many people's lives. So as we wrap up, uh, I was really, uh, encouraged by your vision for Asian Mental Health Collective for its future. So would you share a bit of where you would love to see that um, continue its work 
uh, not just here in America, but even around the world? Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday, right? But I think for me personally, I don't, I don't, I can't speak for all of the members of the team, but for me personally, yeah. I would love to see Asian Mental Health Collective become a resource internationally for other countries um, to be able to bring that conversation there, to present it in a way that it fits the cultural context to um, start to address these issues, right? I think that um, we do have a very westernized view of mental health, right? But we should be able to take the common concepts and the common experiences that we have and express them in a way that can be more easily understood by our, um, I guess, Asian counterparts who are still living in Asia. And mm -hmm. I think that as um, there's something about getting that information in your own language and understanding it from your own culture that is very different than understanding it in a different language in a different culture, right? So exactly. if I, 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 I speak Cantonese, right? But my ability to express myself in Cantonese is so limited and my ability to understand even mental health concepts in um, Cantonese is a little, it's a little bit difficult, right? But I can still do therapy in Cantonese because I understand the human experience and I can communicate and share that, like that knowledge. I mean, there are some times where I do need to go out of my way to get translations for specific words and concepts. But if somebody is able to hear that in their own language, it's so much more impactful. And I would love to see the Asian Mental Health Collective be the Asian Mental Health Collective and not just like the Asian American or or westernized asian slash like wherever you are like canada uk australia where most of us are um yeah just to go beyond that and be able to um interact with people um and provide those resources to asian countries in their native language and so yeah, yeah. that's that's the hope for us um or hope for me me specifically my vision for where we're going uh we'll see what happens I, yes. it's a team thing and yes. it's not solely up to me, well, but that is a that is a goal that I would love to see us achieve in the future. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful to have dreams and vision and goals and to just speak that out begins to plant that seed that uh, in, in due time that uh, will happen in, in your lifetime. So I'm cheering yeah. you on and we also <laughs> hope to uh, see Erasing Shen helping others in other cultures and other languages as well because yeah. um, th oh, this no, is what we can do this is what we can do with uh, without having to do uh, 10 years of studies and, and we need the professionals to do their 10 years of study in medical school and psychology but there's something that you know everyday people can do too and so yeah, um, definitely keep mobilizing that all right. Well, thank you, Jed Chun, for being with us on the Erasing Shame podcast. We'll add links in the show notes to the Facebook group, the website for Asian Mental Health Collective, and they have a great directory of culturally sensitive Asian and Asian American mental health professionals that will continue to grow as a resource for people out there. And uh, please, if you love our podcast, please share it and subscribe. We are now on Spotify and we are on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Android, and uh, new platforms as we've moved to Libsyn as our web host. So thank you for being with us and we'll see you in 
the next month. Uh, stay tuned at erasingshame.com. Bye-bye. Thank you.